Hey folks, welcome to episode 152 of the FLW Podcast. Uh, in Benton, Kentucky, I'm Jody White. I'm joined by, in Benton, Kentucky, Kentucky. that's a new way to say it. Yeah. Uh, in my office, Kurt Niedemeyer. Um, Kurt, what's your title now? Senior uh, editor? Editor-in-chief? Editor yep. So, the big dog. Sure. <laughs> um, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit of a little bit of fishing. Is, is the plan, anyhow. Excellent. The next best thing to going fishing, talking fishing. So yeah, right. which you know, luckily I do basically all day every day. It's it helps having um, you know no family, no significant other, no responsibilities, nothing else to do. Hey, I mow my lawn from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> well, priorities, man. You got the priorities figured out. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, anyhow. I figured we'd go ahead and start right off the bat with Beaver Lake because yeah. that's our most recent tour event. Uh, you were actually there at that one doing a lot of the writing. Um, Johnny McCombs picked up the win. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any takeaways from that tournament? Do you want to dive in on how McCombs caught his fish? Because I yeah, know you watched yeah. him a bunch. Well, obviously the McCombs story was huge, not just for the way he caught his fish, but just his personal story. You know, I, I was talking with Kathy Fennell, president of FLW, uh, a day or two ago, and uh, you know, I told her no one on our crew really knew who Johnny McCombs was except Rob Newell because none of us was around when Rob, when when McCombs was fishing last. Yeah, Rob was, but the rest of us weren't, and so we didn't really know who he was. We didn't know he was such a hammer. And then uh, you know, Rob Newell, or uh, uh, Andy Morgan starts telling people about how you know McCombs is just this amazing fisherman, and of course his story he. he you know, he struggled with uh, drug addiction for more than a decade. Cost him his career and cost him a lot. But he's clean now and he's back and uh, crushing fish on Beaver Lake. So, yeah, uh, apparently, uh, I guess he and Gerald Swindle used to take like everyone's money down in yeah. Alabama, uh, like around those rivers and stuff like yeah. that. And um, you know, apparently, he's actually super good. Which, if you look at his record, yeah, he is pretty good. Great stats, yeah, yeah. I think his first uh, three or four years he fished a tour. He was a cup qualifier and uh, had pretty high finishes in the AOI standings. So, you know, hopefully things continue to go well for him and that uh, we get to see a little more of what he can do. So the most impressive thing watching Johnny fish at Beaver Lake was just his casting ability. I mean, the dude could put a buzz bait wherever he wanted it. But it wasn't just accuracy. It was like the 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 pace and the way he kind of attacked the water. I mean, he'd rip cast down the bank wind up past two or three bushes or trees or whatever is in the water, pick it up, make a real quick roll cast, backhanded roll cast, underhand, flip it, whatever he had to do, and it's just constantly one after another after another after another. And he hit he brought that bait past every single piece of cover that he could find in the water, steering it left and right. I mean it was it made me tired just watching him. Yeah. And so like he could cast it like both hands yeah, too. It yeah. wasn't just like I think a lot of people can probably skip a buzz bait uh, from one side of the boat and, right. you know, get their angles set up. And he'll do that simultaneously, and then simultaneously, like, go exactly the opposite direction <laughs> right. in ways that regular people can't do. Yeah, I mean, most people, if you kind of set yourself up for, like, the easy cast with it, you can do it, you know, like, if you have, like, the exact right angle. He didn't seem to need any of that. He just, wherever he was, would, however he was approaching the tar target, he would get the bait there. And the, the backhand casting was really impressive, you know, that was, uh, uh, Craig Powers is really known for that, because when they used to fish tournaments, 
uh, before combing their days, they'd fish side by side on the front deck, and they'd they'd share use one guy's boat. You know, both fishing as pros. He had to learn to cast basically off his left side, but he was right-handed. Yeah. And the dude could put a a popper like on a dime anywhere. Well, he kind of became known for that. But Johnny McCombs was doing that under and over and between and through obstructions and uh, and then winding it back and just it was it was really impressive. The other thing that stood out to me. You know, we would we were trying to figure out exactly what he was keying on, and we kind of we eventually figured out. You know, he was targeting like yards, basically any kind of open area where he didn't have to contend with all the floating debris and trees and, yeah. and really thick brush. Uh, where I think I think there were probably fish in a lot of places. I don't think they were just in those yards, but those are the places he could fish most effectively. Yeah, he could get to them. Yeah, and so we would watch him, and he would run around and basically just. He wasn't. He didn't have a bunch of waypoints. He'd just run and see where the like the newest type of water like that was that he could fish. And um, you know, it was it was cool. I mean, he he torched him. It's not that often that we see Beaver Lake one on a real power fishing pattern. But yet, in the last few years, we've had guys win it pitching jigs and stuff like that. And so, the lake is uh, the lake has really changed a lot. It seems. I mean, you and I talked about that before the tournament. That years ago, you used to be able to win with ten pounds a day or whatever. Yeah. Now you got to be able to catch some better bags, and heck, Johnny caught like 18 pounds, I think, on day three. Yeah, he caught 18 then, uh, something on day three, and then uh, he caught like 14, I think, uh, I think on day one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so like he had two really, really strong days, and then kind of a subpar day, and then obviously the last day was just the worst. Yeah, and he was married to that one technique, and, and you know there were guys like McMillan made the top ten. He was pitching a jig, and he threw a frog a little bit, but. Um, most of the guys had to kind of change it up a little bit. Johnny did basically one thing. He threw a jig back if, if a fish missed his buzz bait. I did th- see him throw a spinner bait a little bit. I don't think he really said he caught many on it. Basically, he just did that one thing the whole time and made, was able to make it work despite you know ridiculously crazy weather conditions, water coming up through the entire tournament, muddy water. I'm just whatever Mother Nature could throw at him, and yeah. she did, you know. And he still did that same thing. And, uh, I thought that was really cool. I mean, you don't see that very often where you can just stick to it and not have to adapt from day to day, especially at Beaver Lake. I mean, Cody Meyer rocketed out of the gate in that tournament catching small mouths, but they just dried up, and he had to go do other things, and that's what cost him. He didn't have a backup plan. Johnny didn't need a backup plan. He just had him figured out. So Yeah. Did you ever, like, witness any of the casting at carp stuff? Because we heard about... Kyle told us about that on yeah. what, day two or day three, I guess. That hey, Johnny McCombs is fishing spawning carp. Yeah, and we're like, what? <laughs> well, so I pulled in on Johnny at the end of the third day, and he was above the dam, and he didn't fit. Not above the dam, above the bridge. The bridge, yeah. And he didn't fish up there a lot, I don't believe, but that was just where we caught up with him. And Kyle was there, and we watched him fish just a few minutes, and I was talking to Kyle about it, and he was telling me about the carp thing, and I kind of was hoping to see it because I'd seen carp all around the lake throughout the, the, fir- the first couple of days there. Yeah, they were spawning like crazy. Yeah. They were actually, you know those big log jams out in the middle? Oh, like out in the middle of the river? They were spa- yeah, they were spawning on those. Really? Dude, Sean saw that. Huh. I, I don't know much about the carp spawn. I've never really taken time to study, but maybe this suggests we ought to a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Uh, but So I talked to him about it, and then that crazy storm came in on day three, and we spent the next hour and a half tucked up under a dock, and I didn't know... I didn't know Johnny at the time, you know. I didn't know he was even going to win. I should have taken that time to get in his boat and pick his brain a little bit more, but he was on one side of the dock, we were on the other. We were just taking cover, trying not to sink our boat. So uh, I wish I had, but when I talked to him after the tournament, 
you know, he, he's not a, not a talker. Um, That's been yeah. very apparent. Yeah, he's yeah. not comfortable with a microphone in his face. And when I'd ask him about the carp, and I asked him like three different times trying to get more details out of him, he, he really... He really wouldn't say a whole lot about it. And I, I couldn't figure out if that was because he didn't think it was as big a deal as we were making it out to be, or he just didn't want people to know about it. But I just read Rob Newell's report on it for the magazine, and he has a quote in there from Johnny talking about when they were kids trying to snag carp when they'd be up spawning, usually if the bass weren't biting. And then, lo and behold, they'd catch big bass doing it. And so he just has always uh, you know, remembered that, I guess, and, and done it a little bit. But it seemed to me more like... It wasn't that he was necessarily targeting it, but really wasn't like going away from it when he saw it. You know, like he, yeah. he, he'd see a, a carp come up and roll, he would throw at it once or twice. But it wasn't like he was running around looking for that. Then again, he could have just been being cagey, and that could have been more of what he was doing. But he certainly didn't give me that impression. Yeah, I will say on the last day there weren't a whole lot of carp spawning. Like the last if you day, watch the footage, I mean, yeah. it was so much colder. I feel like that really impacted that bite. The last or, day was way different. The way that uh, played out, anyhow. Yeah, I mean, everybody struggled on that last day. I mean, you you were running the blog, you know. I mean, how long did it take for us to even get a limit that day? I mean, oh, it was my goodness. Afternoon, it took forever. yeah. yeah. Um, so everything changed. Now, the interesting thing, though, is, I mean, he still got the bites to catch a good limit that day. He could have had a limit in, like, yeah. the first hour they if, just, he, if they all got in the boat. Yeah, you know? but was he losing them, or were they just not really getting it? I don't know. He's, I've, you know, I, I watched a lot of the FLW live, mm-hmm. and, I, and from what he said, he was saying that he was setting the hook too fast, oh, he okay. was, that it was his fault. He was too keyed yeah. up. At the same time, I... It's, it's hard to set the hook too fast if a fish really wants a bait. Right, you know what right. I mean? That's what I was thinking. <laughs> so I think some of it was probably that those fish just didn't want the yeah, bait as much. Kind of snatching at the trailer or something and or not really eating it all the way. But I had the kind of same thought. I thought, man, if they're dialed in, he's going to hook them. But they just yeah. were maybe a little off. But that was a, that was a brutal day. Because, I mean, you can get a buzzbait bite and it can blow up a foot away from you and you just go like that and lift yeah. it into the boat. And if he wants it... You got him. Right, you know? Steve Kennedy, toad style, it's force wood cut. Exactly. Oh, man, I could watch that forever. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to go watch that video yeah. later on here. I could watch Steve Kennedy grill burgers and think I'd have a good time doing it. He's such a funny guy. but No doubt. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a, I mean, it was a cool Beaver Lake tournament from the stance that we got to see something totally different. And when you've been going there that long, it you know, it, it can get old after a while. Yep. Beaver Lake's no note for throwing something different at us every year and, and for the variety. I mean, the the most consistent takeaway from the last few years, though, is uh, you got to win with largemouths. I mean, everybody keeps talking about the smallmouth bite, and obviously Cody Meyer proved you can catch some big smallmouths and you can catch limits of smallmouths. But even those first few days when he led, he had to have a kicker largemouth in his bag each day. Yeah. And then they just petered out on him. And uh, I just – I know that from the guys I've talked to, the local there – you can catch big smallmouth stringers, but it just—I don't see how you could win a major tournament like this in four days doing it. And uh, got to have those largemouths. Yeah, I mean, you look at it, and honestly, besides besides the Great Lakes, you've got to catch largemouth to win a tournament usually. You, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you know Champlain I mean, better than anybody, and largemouth. I mean, I maintain in the fall, like if if there were more major tournaments on Champlain like september on we'd see an event or two get won yeah. by smallmouth in fact uh 
Joe Lucarelli, is it? I think that's his name. Yeah, he won a tournament all on smallmouth once, and it was like September. Yeah, wow, like September or October, or something like that. Because they get big and they get fat that time of year. But usually, like when you go in June, too many of them are on beds or just getting off. Yeah, and the largemouth got done earlier. You just they can't quite compete with that weight. Yeah, I don't think in the South. You could win a theoretically, you could win a one day tournament in the South on smallmouth. Like yeah. you could go to Dale Hollow potentially and do it, but even Dale Hollow, maybe well, Dale that's Hollow not the best has, example. Because the they're thing about Dale Hollow and Cumberland, and you know we saw it in at Cherokee when the uh, there's those East Tennessee those mountain lakes, and you can win on smallmouth there definitely, but yeah. the limits are all jacked up, so that makes it really inch weird. Limit, yeah, yeah. The reason that Cherokee tournament that. Um, Wheeler. You know, Bass had that Wheeler one yeah. was one on smallmouth so easily was because they didn't have to play with the limit for that event. It was like 15 inches, oh, like they, gotcha. you know, it was they uh, they waived that across the board. Otherwise, you know, some of the guys who you routinely would go fish for largemouth yeah. probably would have uh, at least made a much stronger run at it. Yeah, I mean, you could if we ever had a BFL on Beaver Lake, I could see you know a one day event still being one on smallmouth if a guy really got onto him, but yeah. Doing it multiple days in the south, it's just so hard. You know, if we went to Mille Lacs, yeah, sure. You know, we went to Lake yeah. Erie, Detroit River, those places. But, um, but yeah, it, it's it, even the spots. I mean, a lot of the guys in the top ten didn't really weigh many spots. A few of them did, but they were all trying to catch large mouse at least. You know, they yeah. knew that's what you had to have to, to move Like, I up. think uh, I think Brazier caught a fair amount of spots. Yeah. I think uh, Canterbury did. Canterbury. They were fishing the same spot. Uh, yeah, that, like, yeah. boat ramp type deal. Yeah. They both caught a limit of spots off that place. But, um, <clears throat> well, like, Cody, I mean. You he, know, the he, second day, the third day, a lot of a lot of the fish McMillan caught were spots because they were ones he caught that came up schooling. Oh, that's right, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, they never, none of those guys, Catching spots probably prevented those guys from taking a shot yeah. at the win. Used to be able to do it though, you know, if, when it was a ten pound limit a day kind of thing. Yeah, you catch one or two big largemouth yeah. and then some chunky spots, and you're cooking for sure. But you know, Rob's article is is a good one for the, the one that's coming out in the magazine because he he focused on what Johnny did, but he really broke down like the four key patterns that were going on at Beaver kind of in general. And you know, you had you were guys were punching debris mats. That was one of them. Uh, Johnny was fishing. The yards in the open areas, that was another. And then you had uh, the deep smallmouth pattern that, that Cody did. Yep. And then you had uh, just like waterfalls and run-ins and, and any kind of source of fresh water. Now, I, it's been, I mean, the last couple times we were at Beaver, I, I was on shore. But I've been on Beaver in the past and been around most of the lake. I don't remember that many waterfalls. So I guess there's, those are temporary things, obviously, when the water's yeah, raining so. or it's raining nonstop like it was. But it was everywhere. I mean, it would just be pouring off the side of a bluff wall. Uh, some of those waterfalls, I mean, you could, uh, I mean, it was pretty unbelievable. You could get back underneath them. And um, <clears throat> I guess that source of fresh water coming in is kind of what attracts those fish. And uh, a lot of guys were, were keying on that. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's a that's a pattern that we thought was I thought was going to play a lot more at Cumberland. Oh, really? Because I know like that's a big time deal on Dale Hollow and Cumberland and those other mountain mm-hmm. lakes, where when you get in flowing water, but we never quite got as much rain as I thought we were going to get at Cumberland to really like yeah. kick that pattern into high gear. And I also just think that it wasn't going as good as it yeah. can be. Well, um, anywhere you've got fresh water and drains kind of pouring into a lake there's usually some kind of 
Yeah, they'll get around that. Even yeah. on Kentucky Lake, which is, you know, a lowland, flatter bank kind of lake, you can you can get on those kind of things, especially in the springtime. You know, Terry Bolton has talked about that before, throwing like a red uh, shad wrap around drains in the backs of creeks in the wintertime. Well, like late late winter, early spring. And especially if the, I guess if the, air, if the rain's maybe warmer than the lake or something like that, I don't know exactly what he keys on, but uh, that's definitely a deal. But a lot of guys were doing that. I mean, I watched Cody flip this uh kind of he flipped back through a big log jam and worked his way in under this uh waterfall and he broke like three fish off and he caught a couple they they're all small but you know he, he kept saying it feels like there, there should be a good one here like this is perfect for it he just i can't figure out why they're not here yeah. uh, maybe it was the area of the lake he was in or something it just wasn't right or maybe they just weren't biting but it seemed uh, to me that that log jam stuff on the lower end of the lake wasn't nearly as good as it was in like the middle of the lake and prairie yeah. creek and up region in the middle part of the lake was strong i mean obviously the the river wasn't as good this year just because it was so blown out and there was so much junk well it was so hard to get yeah, to you too get i mean through it all it was so, like there were some guys who got through it and yeah some guys who got through it and decided well this is dumb <laughs> right so that certainly changed things to not be able to go to where it's been won the last few years but uh, yeah that was uh the other guy who I wish we knew a little more about what he was doing was Thrift. He was a little, you know, a little cagey about what he was doing, which is kind of typical Brian Thrift. But yeah. basically throwing a, a Ned rig a good part of the tournament, and I think he was catching some good small miles. And I yeah, don't know, he caught all his fish on a swim bait the last day. Though. On the last day, yeah. Okay, he uh, he he wasn't. It wasn't like typical Brian Thrift run around like a maniac with your head cut off. He was kind of dialed in on something, but he wouldn't really tell anything about what he was doing. So. He never does, though. Yeah, like, yeah. you so often, you get a quote from him, and it's kind of a... It sounds really good. You're like, all right, this is good. And then you actually start to think about it, and you're like, wait a minute, he didn't say anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's kind of Brian Thrift, which I guess I'm just going to lead that right into our next discussion yeah. here. Brian uh, Thrift, master of the universe. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So <laughs> we've got a uh, we've got an AOI blowout underway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, do you think anyone can catch him? Well, I I don't I can't claim to like know Scott Canterbury. So Scott Canterbury's in second, and he's eighty something behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's eighty four points, points behind. Back, yeah. <laughs> so I always look at it mathematically. If Canterbury finishes forty points higher than Thrift in the next few tournaments, mathematically he you know catch him right. I mean, I think that's how it would work. But, Which, I mean, is not crazy to think that right. Thrift might finish... It's 165 places. Yeah, you know, yeah. 60th in each of these next two events, yeah. and Canterbury finishes in the top 20. Canterbury I mean, wins one, you know. If, yeah. if, if Canterbury top 10s at the next tournament and Thrift has a middle-of-the-road finish, it'll be interesting. Especially considering... At least that, through day one at the Potomac, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, to see, well, you know, you got to see how they catch them, and right. then maybe... Well, and that's kind of where I was leading in, is like, I, I can't claim the no thrift personally to really know his mindset about tournament fishing but he really seems like a kind of a superstitious guy i mean there's no way a guy wore that sweaty gross to hat all the time if you weren't superstitious right he says it's not the same hat oh well he's got a bunch of sweaty gross to hats that's exactly <laughs> it he's he like seasons them though like he doesn't <laughs> he leaves like, them on the dash he or leaves something. them on the dash he says like 
he re- he'll retire them now. Yeah. The hat he's wearing is like a year and a half old. I'm sure. Yeah. But well, he's been like, crushing it for a year and a half. Now, yeah. So he says it's change? not always the same one. But I mean, he's kind of obsessive compulsive. You know, he's got his rods are like it's like he's got a ruler and he's measuring the spacing on the front deck in the mornings when he's getting his rods laid out and he's got 25 it's rods. It's just the most efficient way to lay them out. I guess, but. <laughs> You know, then you don't have to dig them out of the, the rod locker. Maybe that's his strategy. But I, I just I get the impression that he uh, he's not as immune to the pressures of tournament fishing as maybe Andy Morgan is. Andy Morgan seems like he's just always cool. It doesn't matter, you know. Uh, now that being said, it's not like Thrift like fails under the pressure because he obviously he kicks almost always butt, but he's like it. he's like Mister Comeback when he's not in the lead. That's when he wins tournaments. He won like seven tournaments or something coming from yeah, behind. coming from like second or third. Yeah, so now he's in the AOI lead, and and I just feel like he's probably laying awake at night because he is scared to death of these river tournaments. And he, that so I think he is though. Like he's not comfortable fishing yeah. rivers. It's not on his. If he never fished another river again in his life, he'd be a happy man. That is what he wants. Yeah. He wants every every lake to be like a clear water southern <laughs> reservoir, basically. Yeah. yeah. But that so that fact that he's kind of scared of those rivers and the fact that I know, like he just seems like he's a little nervous about it and and I feel like when you put that together, there's absolutely somebody could catch him. Would I bet money on it? No, no way. Because like he's Brian Thrift. Yeah, hypothetical is one thing, um, but in real life, I mean, if he can come out of the cross with a mediocre finish, he's done well at the Potomac before. It's not like it doesn't. Yeah, it's not like it doesn't fit his style either. I mean he. The dude can throw a chatterbait and, and catch fish all day long, and that's yeah, that's caught, always in play. He caught a bunch of big ones. He's he's like iced a bunch of tournaments, or you know, crushed him in a bunch of tournaments on a frog. Yeah, like Potomac's a great place to throw yeah. a frog. It's he's awesome around grass. Like his yeah. he doesn't have any weaknesses really, but like to say that Potomac doesn't fit his strengths. No. Other than the fact that it's got a tide, it's got current. Yeah, but who else would you wrong. root for? Who else would you pick in a tournament where you might have to like run and gun all day long like they do so often at the Potomac? Like, who else can do that as well as him? Well, I'll take Brian Schmidt at the Potomac. Right. But... Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get, I, I get, what, I get what you mean. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, I would have a really hard time picking against him. But it, you asked me if it was possible someone could catch him. Absolutely, it's possible. Especially... With Scott Canterbury on his tail, uh, I mean, Scott's never won AOI, and he now has the advantage of being the guy who's just kind of waiting in the background. Yeah. I mean, we've seen we've seen it before where, you know, a guy comes from behind on the last tournament, and Thrift led going into the Potomac a couple of years ago. Scott Martin was, I think, like third yeah. past John Cox and Brian Thrift, Thrift at the Potomac. I mean, so Yeah, it, and, it like, happens. Cox was, like, leading that. Like, Cox started the year super strong, yeah, and then he kind yeah. of tailed off. I think he lost... That was year Wesley was leading it for a while, I think. I think it and was, then, I think yeah. Cox or Thrift took the lead at Chickamauga. Yeah. And then Thrift ended up in the lead going into the finale, however that worked out. But. Yeah, poor Wesley. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess we jinxed him. I don't know. We wrote a whole bunch about him, went and hung out with him, talked about how great it'd be if he won, and then he... We've jinxed him a number of times now. Yeah, it's, <laughs> before long he's just going to stop talking to us. Yeah, I don't know. He might be too nice to do that, though. He <laughs> yeah. he know he probably knows. Gosh, I shouldn't talk to those guys. It's yeah. bad for me. Well, I could never tell if he was really joking this year when because you know he was uh, on pace to break Cody Myers' limit, limit record, yeah, yeah, consecutive limit record, and we wrote about it, of course, because that's what we do. And then he didn't catch a limit at 
I don't remember where it was. Somewhere. I think it was like year. day one at Gunnersville, yeah. probably. Yeah, I think it was at Gunnersville. First term of the year, wiped everybody out who had a chance to break the record. Yeah. And then he was kind of like, y'all, y'all jinxed me. And I'm like, well, I don't know if he's being serious or joking. Wesley's <laughs> usually pretty laid back, but uh, I was rooting for him. I mean, I thought he was going to do it. I thought for sure with the schedule this year, I thought this is every one of these tournaments I thought was going to be a kind of place where guys would just catch a bunch of fish. Gunnersville just was so tough weather-wise. That was the, the whole Yeah, deal. I thought Gunnersville. I mean, I kind of thought we'd see bigger top-end weights at Gunnersville, yeah. but I thought I knew there was a chance for guys to struggle. Really? Just I that early in the year? Yeah, yeah. It's just a little bit, like if they held it like um, two or three weeks later, it would have been probably on. Yeah. At the same time, I don't expect Wesley to ever be one of those guys who struggles. Right. You know, you always expect him to catch them. Well, and he's said it several times. I mean, the, he makes his living catching five fish a day. Yeah. yeah. He hasn't won a whole lot of tournaments, but he's, he's always around. He's always at the championship, so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we got off track, but as far as Brian Thrift goes, the most impressive thing to me is that he's averaging a fifth-place finish this year. I mean, most guys get one fifth-place finish a year. They're, they're pretty happy. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah, if you make a top ten yeah. or two a year, you're like, all right, that was a good year. But the thing that we forget, and I, I did the numbers on this for a, an AOI update after Beavers, that when Brian Thrift won the AOI in, I think, 2010, he averaged at like a 7.6 place finish. Now that was a five tournament season because Red River was canceled that year, and that was when it was supposed to be a six tournament year. But I mean, averaging 7.6 place—that was that's the best of all time yeah. on tour. And uh, I wonder why it's so, been so bad these other years, you know? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Well, no, just because no one's fished like Thrift has this year. Yeah. Uh, even you know we had some AOI years where guys averaged like 30th place. I mean. 30th place is a good average finish, you know. But 30th place, I don't even know where that would get you this year. It's just crushing it. I mean, it probably it probably gets you about where Mark Rose is. Yeah. I would guess. Well, like Canterbury, I was going to look up his finishes. Uh, so he, he hasn't, like, we haven't been talking about Canterbury as much just because Thrift has had the lead the whole time. But, you know, when Andy Morgan won it, his first AOI, he and Cody Meyer had that awesome, uh, that, like, neck-and-neck neck race going on. But... So like Canterbury here, he's finished. He finished fifty third at Harris Chain. That's the only time he's finished worse than thirtieth. He has three top twenty finishes and two of them are top tens. I mean that's pretty dang good. Yeah. I mean that's a really good season. He made a check at every stop, but yet his name's hardly come up just because Brian Thrift's been killing it from day one. I mean back to back runner up finishes so at the start of the year. Scanlon in third, forty eighth at Gunnersville, nineteenth uh, at Travis, eighteenth at Harris, eighth at Cumberland. So that's three top 20s, and then 25th at Beaver Lake. Like, he really hasn't had a bad tournament every yeah. at all. He's got a $10,000 check every single tournament. I mean, he's living right. Right. Uh, and we've talked about him a lot because it's kind of been a, a little bit of a surprise how well he's done. You know, yeah. you don't expect to – he had like a – he was decent over on the Elite Series, but he didn't come into the year looking at him as like a guy who was going to contend for an AOI yeah. title, and all of a sudden – here he is, like, you know, neck and neck with Clark Wendland and Brian Thrift. Right. <laughs> and it's, you're like, whoa. <laughs> do they even bass fish in Kansas? Like, I don't even know if they do over there. I mean, granted, he's not far from Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma. I think he drives south a yeah, lot. <laughs> no one's going, it's like, oh, man, I want to be a bass fisherman. I think I'm going to move to Kansas. Like, I wouldn't yeah. mind to move to Kansas because I like the bird hunt, but I don't think I'd go there expecting to crush a bunch of bass. But We did have a Kansas State team win the college championship, though. Yeah. Maybe we're overlooking a bass fishing hotbed in, in Kansas. 
I don't really think that we are. No? All right. I mean, I think there's probably some good bass fishing there, but I don't <laughs> yeah. think that it's anything that we need to, you know, do like a massive uh, a massive expose on or anything like that. Right. I got you. Well, um, I guess what's probably going to happen in this AOI race is that Andy Morgan's going to come from behind. He's going to win it at uh, Potomac River, and we're all going to not be surprised. And All right, what about this? Mark Rose wins the next two tournaments, <laughs> and he goes back-to-back to start and finish the season. And, and crushes Brian through his hopes and dreams. Yes, oh, again. He would be so dejected. I, I'd we be would worried need about to, him. We would need to have someone watch the Yeah, rest. I would think so. Yeah. It was fun watching him battle it out, though. But Oh, he, I really wish that Rose had not tailed off yeah. after he won those two, because... I would love to see you know, Mark Rose, Brian Thrift battle like all the way to the end. And it doesn't look like it's going to happen. I mean, he's a yeah. hundred points back of him. But bass fishing is a funny sport in some ways because, I mean, we talk about Andy Morgan's top tens and Clark Wendlandt's top tens, and we rattle off their stats all the time to kind of make our points when we're talking about how great these guys are. But I mean, you really only remember the guy who wins, right? And so we remember, we'll always remember that that. Uh, Mark Rose won two tournaments. Now, we'll probably always remember that Brian Thrift finished runner-up because he did it twice in a row to the same guy. Yeah. But, I mean, in a normal year, you know, a guy finishes second place, you kind of you – know, you don't really remember him a whole lot. There's, like, no, like, there's JT, no glory that goes along JT with Kenny it. JT Kenny finished second at Harris, right? I don't know. Or was it John Cox? I not tell you. <laughs> I don't remember. It was one or the other. Yeah, I don't. I guess I'd have to even look up. Second place at uh, Beaver was uh, – did Reyes end up in second? Yeah. Yeah. See, see how, that was like two weeks ago. We're second. talking about yeah. Beaver Lake, and I can hardly remember. But the fact that Brian has turned taking those two runners up and then kind of kept almost kept that pace—that's remarkable. And so we'll we'll remember it. So at least he gets to sleep well at night knowing that you know those good finishes won't be forgotten. Yeah. If only those fish had been just a couple ounces yeah. bigger, he'd have uh, he'd be averaging fourth place instead of fifth. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. He's had an incredible season. Um, staying on the AOI hunt, mm-hmm. uh, the Rookie of the Year race, it it looks like it's, I don't want to say it's over or anything, because it's not. There's probably more volatility in that than anywhere else. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bradley Dorch is in 12th in the Angler of the Year standings. He's got 803 points, so he's your leading rookie. Then Aaron Britt is in 19th in the AOI. He's got 774. So it's actually pretty close. Yep. Um between those guys and to be honest i mean both of them are re- having really really excellent yeah. rookie seasons and then let's see uh, scrolling on down um justin atkins is in 34th he's got 731 points so he's still in the hunt too uh, or pretty close to it and he's he's probably the last rookie that would be on pace to make the uh forestwood mm-hmm. cup um which would be kind of cool to see three like true FLW Tour rookies make the make the cup. Um, that doesn't happen every year, I'm sure. You know, it's a hard thing to do to yeah. fish that well. Um, I don't know. Do you have any takeaways from any of these those three guys who are in the cut and in the hunt that you've yeah. seen over the year? So I haven't been to all the tour events this year, and I feel like I haven't had the chance to really get to know those guys enough yet. So I don't know their backgrounds and styles well enough. I mean. I know Dorch is from Alabama, and I think he's from Alabama, right? Yeah, and then he yeah. lived in Florida for a while, back in Alabama. I'm going to guess maybe he's got a little experience fishing some rivers there that might come in yeah, handy these last he's, couple tournaments. He's, uh, I think, actually, he could do really well at Potomac. Because, yeah. So he's from uh, that southwestern 
part of Alabama, That's right. like down near Mobile yeah. and the Delta and stuff like that. Like, there's he's actually got a bunch of small water, even some tide experience. Mm-hmm. I think. I know so, how to fish grass. We know that. Yeah. So I'd be. I'm. I think both of these he could do well in, but I could really see yeah. him doing something interesting at the Potomac. Yeah, I don't know Aaron Britt very well. I think you fished with him before, so you probably know him a little better. Yeah, but... Aaron Britt is like a – he's an interesting cat. Yeah. Um, but he seems to really this year have a knack for, like, coming in with five, whereas, like, we've had some tournaments this year that have been really tough yeah, tournaments. for sure. And it seems like – I think he's really – I don't want to say he's, like, the next Cody Meyer or anything because, like, the – two guys their personalities and just like just the vibe you get off them couldn't be more different yeah but it seems like he's kind of tapping it seems like a lot of western guys either are either like really go big or go home or really consistent and i feel like he's got a lot of that consistency in him so he can pick up the spinning rod and catch five if he needs to yeah i I think i and it might not always be a spinning rod because i mean he he did guide on clear lake i don't know if he still does uh too much but like He's not bad at catching big yeah. fish either, but yeah, I mean they're not separated by enough points to where it's over by any means. Uh, I mean, if, if our last two tournaments were going to northern fisheries that were deep clear water kind of deals, then I might be more inclined to say, yeah, Britt's got the better chance to come from behind. But I mean, you made a really good point about Dorch. If you know anything about tidal fishing coming in, you've got to step up on most of the guys because yeah, it can really change things drastically. And uh, and then he's got, I mean, he's got. The river experience, the title experience, the grass experience. He's riding the high of having won a tournament this year. I mean, going to be tough to catch him, I would say, but anything's possible. You know, you, anytime you go to a new fishery, and I'm, I would bet good money he's never fished at lacrosse. Yeah. You know, anything can happen. And then you've got you got other wild cards at lacrosse, too. You know, if he decides to lock up, who knows? He could end up not making a bad Yeah, you could there, end so. up, you know, blanking on a day yeah. of fishing. So that, that could be there. huge. Um, and. I would guess, and and you you fished up in that region more than I have on the river. I mean, I would guess that we're gonna have a lot of guys with their weights fairly close together. Like, probably won't be very many ounces or pounds separating a great number of places. So yeah. that's gonna be an important thing to look at. Like, like one three pound fish versus a two and a half pound fish could really boost you way up the standings and could really impact who makes a cup. And uh, so they got to make sure you know they're on that just a little bit better quality fish. Yeah. I think that type of places, it's a lot like Lake Champlain, where, like, granted, you don't see the same top-end weights there as you see at Champlain, mm-hmm. but you've really got to be catching them. If you can catch a lot of fish and have a great day of fishing and come in with their, let's say, 13 pounds, mm-hmm. and you're like, well, dang it, I'm in 70th. Right. Uh, and so is everyone else. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it could be one big day or just even, like, a four-and-a-half-pounder as opposed to everyone catching three-and-a-half-pounders. That really swings it, yeah, for sure. For sure. Have you been checking the water levels up there? I checked them, like, right I, after pretty Beaver high. Lake. I know I that. I haven't seen where it is, but I wish we could... Uh, we need to talk to, like, like one of the Brugans or somebody and find out like how the water level specifically is going to change things. I'd like to know if that's going to make other areas accessible, if it's going to make fish bite in different places, uh, if it's going to end up crowding the guys. I mean, that, that could be a, a huge factor in this tournament. Because I don't think it's like been a typical spring there, just like it hasn't anywhere. I think everything's a little different this year, so I really like to know if that's going to impact it. But yeah, I think that that that's one thing that'll be tough because you can't really 
the water levels right now aren't really any indication of what they're going to be two weeks from now. Sure. I feel like. Because sure. they can slow it down. They can run a bunch of water out. And, you but know, that they whole system's do... jacked up right now. I mean, they've got so much water. I mean, that's why Kentucky Lake's high, I'm pretty sure. They can't let any more water downstream because the Mississippi's yeah. got so much in it. But they're so far up the Mississippi. Yeah, that's know? true. Um, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll see. Uh, Kyle did put a, do a uh, really, I thought, a really good primer mm-hmm. article. It's up on FLOEFishing.com right now. You just look for the one with uh, Kate Loffenberg holding two really big smallmouths. Yeah. Um, that's the uh, that's the one. He cracked it pretty good in that tournament, too. Yeah, Small like 22, 22 pounds or something like that. Yeah. That was strong. And then, I actually, I think I reused, I think, I want to come clean on these. These The photos of Bruggen, where we're talking about brown versus green in the story, I'm pretty sure from Kentucky Lake. Oh, <laughs> doggone it. And if you were, and I'm kind of bummed that a commenter hasn't called this out on it yet and been <laughs> like, hey, those don't look like northern bass because they don't look like northern bass, but I used it anyway because it's a sweet picture. I don't think I have that one open on my desktop here. Uh, but that's a good that's a good read. Um, yeah, how think, great is it to go to a place that where you, like we talked about this just a little bit ago, the smallmouth thing where you actually can win it with either or or some combination. I mean, that's that's cool. You can see some specialists kind of do their thing. Uh, I'm sure Andy Morgan's hating it because he hates anywhere you got to actually fish for small miles. Yeah. I think this is, uh, I, and I would have to, there's not really any way to find this out, but I would guess this is probably the year with more smallmouth caught than any other year. Yeah, um, we should start keeping that stat. That'd be cool. It'd be fun. To, I'd love to know the exact the species of every fish. Yeah caught i mean it'd be kind of a pain in the neck because you'd have to count them all oh yeah, yeah. uh it'd change you know it'd be an extra step at weigh-in but it'd be fun because yeah, um, cumberland had a good number of small miles and then uh beaver had some good small miles we'll have, obviously have them at lacrosse and well, what am i missing florida didn't have any small miles obviously did we have any big ones weighted at uh, gunnersville uh no i don't really small recall any smallmouth at gunnersville i'm sure there's some in it but uh the whole system has them but um uh, back to the angler of the year thing, or rookie of the year thing. Yep. If we if these next two tournaments were on the Tennessee River instead of these other rivers, I'd be picking Justin Atkins for the yeah. AOI title. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he started off strong, and he's uh, I guess he's kind of grew up on what Wheeler, Wilson, Gunnersville that stretch. I think. Yeah, I think Pickwick like mainly. Oh, which Pickwick. Yeah, he's yeah, fishing sure. the All American there this summer. Yep. Uh, qualify for that. So <laughs> look out. Good year. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he could. I don't know. He could be uh, poised for a kind of a kind of a lawyer esque season yeah. if uh, things break right for him. Tennessee River is always good to locals, especially once you get past the spawn. It's very good to locals, and uh, we've seen that throughout the course of our tournament history. I mean, if you're a Tennessee River guy, well, maybe I shouldn't say locals. Maybe maybe there's just more like a style. Like Tom Reddington does really well on Tennessee River. Marcus Zakor won the All American on the Tennessee River. But those are guys that really excel at that offshore fishing. You know, Mark Rose isn't technically a Tennessee River local, but he's had more success there than anybody else. Yeah. But that's his style of fishing. He's pretty much become a local at right. this point. Right, yeah. So local's not the best term, but it, you know, those guys that specialize in that offshore power fishing kind of deal, uh, it's, it's good to them. And uh, I have to believe that, uh, that, yeah, Atkins knows what he's doing there. You can't compete in the summertime if you can't do that kind of stuff. So uh, I would agree with that. I wouldn't, like... 
I'd probably be less happy about the season though if we we're going to finish the last two tournaments on the Tennessee River. I'm excited to go to some new places. So I wish we were having a tour event on Kentucky Lake right exactly now. Right now, because the I water's would, in the parking lot. The water's yeah. like way up, and like I think it'd be super interesting to see. I don't think you really feel that way though, because then you wouldn't be able to go fishing, and you'd have to cover the tournament. Hey, who says I wouldn't just quit? <laughs> <laughs> just turn it in and sign up as a co-angler. Yeah, you know, I might just hop in that thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyhow, we've got a, uh, I've, I still want to talk Rookie of the Year. All right. I have an issue of FLW Bass Fishing Magazine with Jason Lambert on it, who won Rookie of the Year. Um, what, two years ago? Three years ago? It's probably been about three years. You know, I don't really know off the top of my head. It was the year we finished at Pickwick and Kentucky. So it was three years ago, I think. This is the year Gagley already qualified for the cup. Yeah. You already won the cup, yeah. 2014. Which is, yeah, four, yeah. 2014. Um, in, and, like, since then, he's had a kind of strange career, but he's <laughs> definitely got a career in pro fishing. Yeah. And then, let's see, rookie of the year two years ago was Zach Burge. And, like, since then, he obviously has a career in pro fishing, but since then he's really scuffled. At the well, tour level. At the tour level, yeah. He's not won, at the. I mean, he's won a Costa at the, Costa. At the you won know, at the BFL, lower level. He's cracked at the Costa Championship again. Yeah. yeah, but like, what's? I don't know. What do you take away from Rookie of the Year? Do you do you sort of look at whoever wins it this year, and are you going to say that's a guy we're going to see fishing? You know, fishing as a pro for the next ten years, almost guaranteed. Or oh no. Do you no. you don't do you not read that much into it? No, and I'm going to go one more beyond just what you finished on like the last year with uh uh oh boy i'm i'm blanking from canada <laughs> chris johnson chris, yeah, yeah yeah second in aoi yeah and and he's not having a i don't know what he's in this year not as good a year this I'll look, year i'll look it up okay so anyway absolutely not no there's no guarantee anybody's going to be fishing 10 years from now in this business i i just think it's that volatile i mean unless you've already been fishing for 10 or 12 years i don't think it's going to happen but even still, like we, we saw guys like Ron Shuffield kind of fall out of the tour level. He'd been fishing for years. So uh, doing good one year I don't think is a guarantee that you'll have success just because there's so much beyond just catching fish involved in being a professional fisherman. Um, and, you know, anybody can kind of have a, a good season. You know, there's guys that all of a sudden make the Forestwood Cup, finish fifth or sixth in the standings, and then the next year they're right back to where they typically finish middle of the pack. Um I don't know what it is though. We like we we like I don't know if we, have we ever even had a rookie of the year race that was won by a guy who didn't qualify for the cup. Like has that ever happened? Like someone always has a really good rookie finish. It seems like yeah. Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I would say probably not. Yeah, like in baseball, I've heard like announcers talking and people talking about a guy being just young and ignorant enough of what's going on to to not realize the pressure and to not realize that he shouldn't like be able to hit this pitcher. And he has a good game, or you know, does great in the World Series or something like that. Maybe it's kind of the same thing at bass fishing. Like these guys don't realize that, you know, how hard this really is. They're just so excited to be out there and doing their thing. Maybe they just can make it happen. I don't know. But every year, yeah, we've got somebody who just does something big as a rookie. It feels like, and it, and it could be a lot of things. I mean, Dorch is having a good year, and a big part of that is because he won that tournament and he knew that fishery and so things like that happened too um i don't know i would have to guess that uh well shin fukai won angler of the year as a rookie yeah his first year and it's then worked out well for him yeah definitely and then i would say johnston has had the 
had the best rookie performance since then. I mean, he finished second in the standings. So, uh, yeah, I wonder what Brian Thrift did. Is no, Brian Thrift actually finished like nineteenth his rookie year. <laughs> Terrible finish. Yeah, real, uh, real tough, uh, <laughs> tough year for him for sure. Um, right now, it's uh, let's see. Johnston is in like ninety. He's in seventy third in the ranks this year. Uh, top. 42nd, 32nd, his first two events of the year, made checks, and uh, then he's got two triple digits and a 92nd place finish since <laughs> then. So he's probably really looking forward to getting to these rivers. Because yeah. here's the thing, like, we haven't even gotten, you know, other guys have had Costa tournaments and stuff like that where they've, that they've fished, they've gotten to fish near their home water and have, like, caught them. Mm-hmm. We haven't even gotten to the Northern Division yet. Like, the tour is going to be over before he fishes a Northern Costa, and... And wins one. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you got to figure the season. Neither you know, neither Chris or Corey are having great years this year. But like, you got to figure they're going to be coming into that Northern Division yeah. pretty fired up. I would think so. <laughs> I don't know. You have different styles of fishermen. You know, you've got you've got Mister Consistencies like Andy Morgan and uh, Clark Winlet and those guys that just they're always there. Uh, and then you've got guys that fish for the win a little bit more and swing for the fences a little more. And you know, maybe. So that, a lot has to go right for you to to make a really good finish like that when you fish that way, and maybe just things haven't gone right for them this year. Maybe that's their style is to to fish big a little more. But I don't know. You know, I, I think uh, hearing Bradley Dorch specifically hearing his story, like let's say he wins Rookie of the Year. I mean, he uh, he kind of overcame some financial hardships and and had to really fight to get to the tour level and having a good season. But anytime you have that behind you there's probably always a potential that you could have a bad year or two and you could slip slip again and end up not on tour. So I hope that doesn't happen for him. Seems like a super nice guy and catches fish and, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe it'll work out for him. But rookie of the year is an interesting one just all around because, uh, I mean, you, what is he in? What place is he in here? 12th place. I mean, that's a great finish. Um, yeah, if he hangs in the top 20, I mean, that's a successful year on tour yeah. for anyone short of, like, Brian Thrift and Andy yeah. Morgan, basically, because they want to be in the top five <laughs> right. every year. But I guess, to me, like, when, like in Major League Baseball, uh, using that as an example again, like your rookies are all have about the same life experience, the same playing experience. They've been playing the game for about the same amount of time by the time they get yeah. up to the pros. Depends on if you came from, uh, like, Latin America or college. Well, okay, that's but true. There's Let's use NFL football then as an example. That's, that's a much better because yeah, they'll have about, this, basically about everyone, the same experience. Yeah, and uh, in fishing, it's totally different. I mean, I don't know how old Bradley Dorch is, but I'm guessing he had quite a few years on what Zach Burge had when he first became a pro. I guarantee that. And yeah. so you know, it's uh, it's it's totally different. You know, we have rookies like Jake Hendrick who has been fishing tournaments at high level for years. I mean, Marcus Sikora, if he fished a tour next year, he would be considered a rookie, and he's already won a ton of stuff. Yeah. You know, so totally different financial backgrounds, experiences, uh, tournament history. I mean, it's not like some of these guys haven't fished all around the country already when they finally come out on tour. You know, it's uh, it's different. So, rookie of the year's a, it's not different than what you'd have in baseball or football or whatever the case is. Yep, I figured. Um, we kind of have like talked a fair amount of lacrosse. Yeah. In mixed in here, and obviously that's next week. Kyle and I will talk that extensively i figure because uh, we'll both be there on site so yeah rub it in i won't be there um hey you could come up i know i should but. you know there's uh like a little media thing going on afterwards 
I'm assuming the fishing is going to be great. Yeah. I'm really hoping they're on beds. I really want to sight fish some fish this year. <laughs> I haven't sight fished anything. It's been super lame. Uh, but anyhow, I figured I'd kind of break it up between our high-level stuff and I'd drop down. Yeah. Um, so uh, recently, I guess this week or last week, uh, Bass Pro Shops signed on and is now the title sponsor of the FLW High School Fishing Opens, mm-hmm. which we've had like a number of them already this year. Uh, we had just one uh, May 6th. The next one coming up is uh, May 13th on Truman Lake. Then May 14th, there's one on the Cal Delta, uh, which is, I guess, going on like essentially the day after or kind of in conjunction with the Costa event out there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It seems... I have never been to one of these high school opens. Like, I honestly, I know roughly how they work, but I'm not an expert on it by any means. But it's pretty cool that we're kind of, it's becoming a thing. Yeah. Well, it is a thing. I mean, it, yeah. And, you know, we've been involved in high school fishing for several years now, and TBO's been involved in high school fishing and kind of uh, have really, is it together, have really spurred it on. And I mean, now we've got several states with varsity fishing programs at the high school level you've got uh there's a group in texas southeast texas high school fishing association i think it's called there i mean they have like 300 or, boats yeah, or something ridiculous in, in one tournament um so yeah i mean if it's here I and mean, have we are there high school volleyball tournaments that attract that many kids i don't know i mean that's a pretty big event for anything at the high school level yeah um but yeah i think uh this year flw's really tried to to take it to the, sort of that next level and and establish a more uh, I don't know what you want to say a better structured yeah a little high school more fishing a little program. more rigor a little more easy kind of easy to understand right less not fly by night but fly by the seat of your pants right because there's like. so many because there's a lot of different high school <laughs> yeah. fishing and championships and there's world this and national championship that and, and, yeah. and they're basically we're trying to say like this is like we're structuring like we do our BFLs and all of our other tournaments where you've got a season and you qualify to a championship and uh, and I think that's great and then adding Bass Pro Shop just only you know validates it to another level to have uh, you know the largest it's, outdoor I mean, it's Bass Pro Shop right the largest outdoor <laughs> yeah. retailer there is uh, standing behind it so uh, I mean if I was a high school kid I mean that's awesome it, like Bass Pro Shop sponsoring my tournament circuit I mean that that's awesome uh, why wouldn't you want to fish you know, and there's a lot of kids that I just know at the local level, especially uh, that are really getting into fishing. And I don't think it's ever going to replace the traditional ball sports, but it's certainly going to be competing with them and something that a lot more kids can do. So uh, I know a relative of mine; his son is in is in high school and was on like the archery team, and uh, a lot of those kids are into bass fishing. So he was asking me about, you know, what do I need to know? How do I get involved and all that? And uh, it seems to be a ton of interest. Yeah, I, I definitely, it's kind of, I don't want to say it surprised me, because it's not, like, shocking that a lot of kids would be into bass fishing. I mean, I, I'm a fan, yeah. obviously. No, but really? Yeah, it's, I, I know, I, I sometimes, I contain it pretty well, but yeah, sometimes sure it gets out. Uh, but yeah, it's really kind of cool to see, like, the numbers involved, and even how widespread it is, you know, they're... Granted, it's probably always going to be more popular in the South and in Texas and places where bass fishing is Rural a areas way of in life. general, probably. Uh, but, like, you know, they've got a New York Open on Oneida, and they've got 
an Ohio Open on Caesar Creek, which, oh gosh, the fishing's probably so bad there. I feel so sorry for those kids. I'm from Ohio. I don't even know where Caesar Creek is. Yeah, but my my point is, like, they're not... We can not... talk Ohio fishing. I'll, I'll, we should talk about that sometime on the podcast. But anyway, go on. All right. It's not well, as bad as everybody says. Here's the thing. You're going to have to go up against a lot of BFL results yeah, on the Ohio River. There's only so many fisheries that can host a big tournament in Ohio. That's the problem. It has a lot of small fisheries with fantastic fishing. Okay. Well, maybe I'll add Ohio to my list of places to you maybe should. fish. You should. Um, but anyhow, so like it's not something that's heck. There's a Michigan Open uh, on the Detroit River. I want to fish that one. You think yeah. I can pass as a high schooler? <laughs> you might be able to. Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like even when I don't shave, I probably could make it. <laughs> I probably could make that happen. Yeah, I had the same problem, but. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyhow, that one I'm going to go fish in. <laughs> so high school fishing, if you'd have told me, you know, well, I mean, I was here 10 years ago. I don't know if anybody brought it up. I, I remember it wasn't long after I started that, you know, college fishing got kicked off and they started talking about yeah. keep going younger the, and younger. You know, the early days of college fishing was kind of the Wild West, too, because yeah. there were, I mean, Bass didn't really have an established organization at the time. There was, you know, collegiate bass and us. It was a whole, it was a whole mess. Yeah. And it's still, well, it's not, it's still kind of fragmented, but everyone basically knows what it yeah, is. If that it, makes sense. In those early days, talking high school or college fishing, you, they kind of had to figure out what would work, even as like a format. Like, would enough people show up with boats if we didn't provide boat drivers? Because the beginning, they provided boat drivers. They yeah. had the the, the coast guys. The glory stay. days you know, stay after. Because I think they assumed, well, most college kids either don't have a boat or can't afford a boat. But what they obviously found out is that they're just as diehard as the guys that fish who aren't in college. And they either borrow a boat, steal their dad's boat, buy a boat, whatever they can do. I mean, there's there's obviously uh, enough people who can get a boat to keep the college fishing numbers way up. Um, yeah. You can probably expound I, on that more. I take I take slight issue with that, but I'll, I'm Why? happy to move. Well, Here's the thing. I think because FLW college fishing was so easy to get into, that you didn't need a boat. Yeah. The travel there were like travel expenses sure. paid at. You got a much broader spectrum of people who participated. Like there were a lot of people whose first tournament they ever fished was a FLW college right. tournament. That makes sense. You, you, and to get in now, you got to be pretty serious about yeah, it. Yeah, you have to like know. So you have to either know people who have a boat or have a boat. You likely were raised doing a lot more fishing. Like. I think that one of the great things about early college fishing was it reached a super... It reached people that would otherwise yeah. never have gotten into bass fishing. Well, and I think that's what high school fishing is doing, because yeah, that's oh, all is. provided boat stuff. It's boat captains, and sure, a lot of people fish with their dad, but a lot of people want to go fishing because their friend is on the team, and right. their dad doesn't fish, or their mom doesn't fish, but they're going to get into it. And so, like, I think we're going to solve that. I think... I think we kind of that problem of getting new people into fishing for a while. College fishing solved it, and then it, I think it stopped solving it a little mm-hmm. bit. But it looks to me like high school fishing is going to work on it even more. I agree. And just to go, not to keep talking about the college thing since we're talking about the high school thing, but at the college level, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not the end of the world because now, we, like you said, we do have so many youth programs and high school programs. Maybe it's okay for the college fishing circuits to sort of favor the really hardcore college fishermen maybe we're just at that point now where it's 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 not like i went to ohio state i couldn't play on the football team just because i wanted to you know you had to yeah. be a really good football player to play there maybe maybe we're kind of going that way i don't know maybe it's become less the tool to 
uh, just get more people into fishing and more of the tool to just see who's the best college fisherman. I don't know. I, I can totally buy that now, though, because when it first started, it was the lowest level of, well, you there were high school cl- there was some high school fishing but it was the lowest widespread level right uh, because the, most of the TBF fishing high school stuff like there were some guys in college who had done that and fished that and had fished like the high school national championship but not many of them had yeah like it was not i don't know anyone in the state of Vermont who when i went to college who was fishing in high school now i'm sure there were a couple kids probably but it just wasn't a widespread thing now it's a lot more widespread and i think it's going to continue to be and that probably goes a long way to solving it yeah i mean i don't think it it maybe just wasn't something that was you did a whole lot like when you're in high school maybe guys just kind of assumed i I like to fish i'll start tournament fishing once i get a job and all that stuff uh of course it you have to always you used to always have to pay entry fees for everything, and now yeah. we've got all these free tournaments for younger people. But Which I think like, the, it's bonkers. Free tournaments are the best. <laughs> I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah, you do not realize how kids who fish in college and high school they absolutely don't realize how awesome free tournaments are. Yeah, free tournaments are the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I know they have at times they have a little trouble getting boat drivers. And when I first kind of was thinking about, it, I thought, oh, that's you know that's going to favor the kids that whose dad fishes a lot and, you know, has a good boat and can get him out there on the water more. And, and probably it does, but it seems like they're having a lot of interest from people who just want to chip in and help and want to drive boats. And, you know, I wouldn't have thought that would have been the case, but I think I think a lot of fishermen appreciate the opportunity. They never had that opportunity when they were kids. Yeah. So they appreciate that. Um, I also think parents do a lot for their kids no matter what they're interested in. Like when I played baseball growing up, I had a glove, and the team provided all the equipment. Nowadays, these kids play on, like, three baseball teams, spring, summer, and fall. They've got two bats, custom helmets with, like, airbrushing on them. they got all the, the fancy uniforms. they got everything. Dang. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of money, but parents, were, I guess, are willing to pay it. So I guess to some extent, you know, they're, they're willing to find a boat and get their kid out there on the water if that's what they want to do. And so I guess it's, uh, it's taken on. I mean, it, it probably, if they'd have tried to launch this program, like, seven or eight years ago maybe it wouldn't have taken on what they've done flw's done a great job sort of building down to that level and uh i think we've obviously seen the results that the stair-stepping program that flw really has always kind of championed is, is working because now we've got these college guys kate loffenberg was a college angler won the bfl on the mississippi river zach burge was a college angler yeah. you know he's fishing the andrew upshaw Shane, was college angler. Andrew upshaw just got 31 pounds yeah in the BFL, he fishes a tour. Shane the Hugh was a college fisherman. Brandon Cobb. I mean, not saying they wouldn't have gotten there, but I bet it 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 sped up the process of them getting to the tour level. Yeah, I think uh, I think so, and I think I mean uh, Jordan Lee just won the uh, classic. And yep. He's a college angler, and like you're gonna see. I think you're gonna see. Maybe not. I wouldn't be surprised if like five years from now, the majority of pro angler of like new pros fished at some point yeah. whether it was high school or college because there's going to be some guys who fish you know who do high school fishing and then don't go to college or you know they get a job and they fish in bfls for a year and then they you know move right on up yeah but i think probably you're going to see fewer you might see like bass fishing at the top level continue to get younger and younger 
just because it's kind of easier than yeah. ever to get someone. But they're gonna they're gonna be young, sport. but they're still gonna have some kind of tournament pedigree. That yeah. not everybody's gonna be a Jacob Wheeler and a Michael Bennett and come out and win the cup in their early twenties, having never really been a BFL angler or college angler before. Those guys were you know unusual in that sense. So uh, Michael Bennett, what Unu- he's guy? unusual in a lot of senses, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Um, but anyhow, so I guess moving on from. Uh, this we've got two costas one of them i'll just mention because i don't know there's not a whole lot we can talk about it until it happens i suppose mm-hmm. um it's the uh western division uh it's their second tournament of the year um they're at the california delta thursday friday but yeah thursday friday saturday yep. um should be awesome, I imagine. Yeah, the California Delta. I think the biggest factor is that they've had so much water out there. They some of the river, or like some of the delta is off limits. So yeah. now, luckily, it's vast. It's yeah, So it's, it's not like place. guys are going to get crowded together um, any more than they already are in like the most famous, you know, kind of little hot spots out there. But that's one issue that they're they're facing. So it's a little different. They've had some weird weather, but yeah, they're going to just catch giants. It's going to be, you know, power fishing deal. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it always, I mean, it always, that tournament is always an awesome tournament. Yeah. It's that and Clear Lake, like, you guarantee that yeah. the fishing is going to be, even if it's bad, it's going to be pretty right. great. Right, It's one of those lakes where it's like, oh, we only caught 20 pounds today. That kind of stinks. <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, they used to, and I think the weights have been down on the Delta compared to, like, the, the glory days when you're catching, like, 30-some pounds, but still definitely very good. I, I covered a Delta tournament a couple years ago, I'll just say, I I spent three days on the water, and I still, that place just blows my mind. I saw so little of it, and it's just so big. You've got such variety, the canals, the river, you got current, you've got, of course, the tides, you've got all these little ponds and things you can sneak into. I mean, I don't even know how those guys get started finding fish out there. But Also, yeah. they have pheasants and quail, in case you're curious about that. I uh, wasn't, but I'm glad I know now. Yeah. It's also a weird place because you can be sitting in the boat, at one water level looking over a levee and there'll be dry land lower than the water level on the other side of the levee it's kind of a weird deal but cool place interesting um the uh southeastern division just wrapped up their season on chickamauga uh william uh weidler weedler i don't know how you say that i'll I'll say weedler all right weedler uh, he Probably won. Uh, <laughs> Barry Wilson uh, finished second. Brian Merriman finished third. Taylor Ashley finished fourth. Hammer. Uh, he's the guy who won the uh, at Okeechobee to kick things off. Brenton Butler finished fifth. Tim Frederick finished sixth. Uh, I think it's Joe Thompson finished seventh. Wes Logan eighth. Uh, Hensley Powell ninth. Anthony Ford tenth. And then, where, man, where did Randy Haynes go? He was in like third or fourth the yeah, first day Ooh, 18th off. um that was kind of the deal there though a lot of guys dropped out. i think only three of the top 10 from the first day made it into the top 10 of the second yeah day. but that was so it was a two-day tournament right um and the full field fished the, the last day. day so yeah just getting in the top 10 didn't guarantee anything that first day uh naturally but anyhow um it was i mean it was a pretty it looked like a pretty exceptional fishing the yeah. first day and still pretty good fishing the second day. Yeah. It's Chickamauga. They crushed them. They had really tough conditions, and they still crushed them. I mean, they had wind, rain, uh, dirty water. They, I think the water was coming up. Uh, they had some post-frontal action going on. A couple storms came through. They still hammered them. Uh, that place is just it, its pretty unbelievable. You know, it was 
I, I did the editing remotely for that tournament. We had a local who was uh, who did the writing for it, but reading through his top ten report, it just seemed like uh, the fish were really kind of in between and everywhere. Like they hadn't, they weren't all shallow and they weren't all out yet. Yeah. So you had a lot going on, and so the guys who uh, it seemed like a lot of guys had had kind of spots they were fishing, not necessarily patterns. They were able to kind of find some schools. Um, but you had still some guys who were running all over the place. So, uh, jigs were popular. I mean, it's just, it was like your typical kind of late spawn, early post spawn kind of deal. Swimming a jig, pitching a jig. Uh, a few guys caught them cranking 6XDs, so, you know, kind of mid, mid to deep cranking. A uh, little bit of everything, but definitely jigs were, were like the most common thing that showed up in like the top 10 patterns and top 10 baits. Yeah, the top 10 baits is like essentially. Just a slideshow of people holding jigs yeah. in slightly different, uh, yep. slightly different poses with slightly different colors. But like mostly, if it was either white or green pumpkin, like it was catching a fish. Yep. Um, yeah, that was interesting to me. I mean, how strong that played, and definitely like Chick is one of those lakes where it's one of the Tennessee River lakes where the shallow bite is probably the best on. You know where they stay off the ledges for longer. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. How, what about Gunnersville? I mean, it has pretty good shallow bite. Yeah, summer, I would say it? probably Gunners and Wheeler used to when yeah. it had grass. Uh, or when John Cox shows up. Yeah, well, that's later in the year. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is if you'd had that turn, there, you know, there are some lakes where you would get a much stronger, a couple, even a few weeks later in the year, I guess, you would still probably get a lot of top tens from up shallow right I even in june you yeah. know whereas on kentucky lake in june everyone in the top 10 is going to be fishing deep yeah uh what well, chickamauga i mean it has a strong ledge fishing history but there's not a lot of ledges maybe just surely can't handle the yeah that many fish out offshore plus it's florida strain bass maybe they just tend to flock to the shallows especially when there's got grass good, yeah it's got good grass yeah. might as well be there and the water was up in that tournament you yeah. know it wasn't it was they, I think they had an idle zone all the way out from uh, Dayton Boat Dock yeah, out did. to the mouth. So just because the water was so high, I believe. Yeah. Well, they run that little, if you remember, they run that kind of little narrow yep. creek out there. And they're worried about the wake and then debris and high water, all yeah. that stuff. So. Yeah, so it definitely, I mean, it was a, kind of an oddball of a tournament, but uh, they had a, still a lot of fun. Obviously. Yeah, they had a shad spawn going on and they had a bluegill spawn going on. And several of the top ten guys were keying on those two things. So, um that helps set up that that shallow bite a little bit too. I'd like to know more about that bluegill spawn. I, we talked about this before we started recording. That he never really said this. This is why they're talking. He never really said like where he found those bluegill spawn. I think we all know you know enough about bluegills where yeah. they spawn. But like uh, on the Tennessee River, you don't. I don't know how, how often do we really hear that pattern on the Tennessee River. Like to me, that's more like we see in like the Carolinas and Ozarks and some of those clearer lakes. But the last time the tour was there. I think John Cox was on a bluegill spawn deal. Daryl Davis was on a bluegill spawn deal. They top ten, and maybe that lake's just a little bit different. And that that's a bigger factor. Like like you said here, uh, by June they're all out, and even by mid May most years most of the fish are out. And so maybe they maybe they're just not up there chomping on those bluegills like they are at Chickamauga. Yeah, gosh, those are. I'm I, so I'm just going to look at Buddy Gross's profile because he's obviously he won the Angler of the Year title in that southeastern division, and. uh so first off, he's holding up some giants in his profile <laughs> photo. I don't know when, I don't know where it's from, but like, whew, 
Well, he's had a really good couple of years, man. He um, really has. So I, I never knew, I never heard of him until he won at Pickwick last year. Now he's he won a Costa this year. Uh, at won, Seminole, yeah, he's top ten at Okeechobee. Won the Southeast AOI. I mean, just fresh um, life. Yeah, in 2015, you know what qualified him for tour for the tour was, uh, you know, he finished ninth in the uh, Southeastern Division, and that was essentially his first full year fishing Costas. It's interesting. He's like he's fished a fair amount of BFLs, and I think he's probably won a couple, uh, and like done decent. Um, well, he's got one in 2010, uh, but anyhow, he's like he has fished more local tournaments on Chickamauga than probably maybe even than like an Andy Morgan or Michael Neal in recent guy. history. In recent yeah. history, yeah, like that's he cut his teeth fishing there. And fishing, you know, team stuff and uh, smaller stuff. And then, like, only very recently kind of took the step up. And he's proven, obviously, super up to the challenge. Sure. Yeah. W- Although place, his, uh... his tour's AOI standing is not, like, doesn't really show how good some of his finishes have been. Yeah. Because he finished 97th in 2016. He's 99th this year. Like, he doesn't look like an immediate threat to make the Forestwood yeah. Cup. East Tennessee, it, it turns out tons of fish, and it turns out some of the best bass fisherman on the planet and uh he's from georgia but technically he's just right across the board he might as well be from east tennessee yeah um and just keeps cranking them out and chickamauga is like the bass fishing hot spot of the world right now and uh if you can if you can win there with all those tournaments and all the tension that it's getting and all the fishermen over there who are diehard then you ought to be able to compete on tour and i think that's what you're seeing from him i mean andy morgan and wesley strader have talked about that before too like if when they were growing up coming up in the standings. I mean, the Chickamauga Bas- or the, the Chattanooga Bass Club was like the biggest one in the country. If you can yep. compete against those guys uh, in, in their home region, then you're probably going to be pretty good on tour. So, Yeah, uh, no doubt. And, I mean, you look at the rest of that division, too. It's not just East Tennessee guys. It's guys from all over the place. And you've got Brian Thrift, who finished 11th, and Josh Weaver, who was 12th, Bradford Beavers, who finished 13th. He's qualified for the Cup. Randy Haynes finished 2nd. And... It's kind of impressive. Ray Haynes finished second. Never really had a ledge tournament. Yeah. Like, what is he? He's been holding back on us a little bit. I don't know. I mean, he uh, he had a stretcher where he did really well in Florida. Randy's really good at, at, like, just boiling down what he has to learn to do to do well in a, in a tournament series. Like, he, he talked about that when he was fishing the tour still. Like, yeah, he's a ledge specialist, but he wanted to become a Florida specialist. So he spent a bunch of time in Florida in the offseason. Yeah. Because he knew, boy, if you can do well in in that one region uh we're gonna go there every year that's that's huge for you you know if you can have a couple good finishes down there you're you're kind of set so uh that's kind of the jason lambert we mentioned him briefly earlier he's same deal i mean if we go to a ledge tournament he's gonna make a top 10 it seems like and then he he's got a decent track record in florida too so Uh, but it is a it is a very stacked division not that you know the northern division's not stacked. I mean, because you've got the best guys from that region competing. But just in general, as far as like the national tournament scene goes, there's some absolute hammers that fish the the southeast division. Yeah, they they really do. And that I mean, it also runs the biggest fields. You know, exactly. Which it's yeah. running a. I think there were like what 190 something boats at Chickamauga. I think that's right. Yeah, like 196, 97. And they like probably had 130 plus at the uh, at Seminole and. You know, I know there were two, or not 130, 230 plus, yeah. and then 250 in 
a full field well, at Okeechobee. It's bass fishing country, and also it draws people from other regions because you can fish early in the year, and they're like good fill-ins in between tour events for the tour anglers too, yeah. because that they're held at the time of year we're fishing tour events. And they're awesome lakes. Right, right. Like, like this schedule was just a glorious schedule yeah. for just crushing them. I mean, you don't have as much motivation to go fish the northern division if you live in the southeast because your tour season's over, and go up there and, and fish against those local guys. Maybe, maybe they use it to extend the season, I guess. But uh, probably won't see Andy Morgan fishing any northern division tournaments. In, yeah, I guarantee that. Um, I will say I've been trying to work on uh, Luke Duncan to fish the northern division. Really? I, I think he he deserves to catch more smallmouth. There's a lot yeah. of smallmouth in that in that one. I want to. That's what I want to see. I want to see more guys just go for the smallmouth. Yeah. That's the that that should be more more people's life goals. What's on the Northern Division schedule this year? Oh dude, it's a great schedule this year. Let me tell you, of course all you about would, it. You would say that. Uh well Champlain. no it is. It's a fantastic schedule. It's Champlain, then the Thousand Islands, then they finish off at the Potomac, I think. Yeah, August twenty fourth. Uh which that one's gonna be like really, really hot. That one might not <laughs> be I don't I'm not as in love with that tournament as I am the others. Are you but, covering all three of those? I am. Yeah. I'm hyped. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Um, How convenient that you get to spend a little time where the small mouse live in between events, huh? Right? <laughs> it's, uh, it, sometimes things just work out. Um, but, yeah, that Potomac one is going to be – could be a frog tournament. Oh, that'd be cool. Late in the year, that could be a frog bite for sure. Well, this is going to be a good year to be Brian Schmidt's accountant, don't you think? Two Potomac tournaments with FLW. I would imagine yeah. two Potomac tournaments. Uh, last year he won the Northern Open on Champlain. I, I imagine he'll go fish that. Oh, the Open's going back to Champlain this year. Well, no, I mean I imagine he'll go fish the coast at oh, Champlain. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, because pro- that's right after the tour event. You know, probably catch twenty five pounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, the the bag that never was. Yeah. You know, if he caught twenty five pounds that first day, he would have won that tournament. I believe it. According Dude. to Pace, he did. Yeah. Those of you who don't know, we, we had a <laughs> one of our on-the-water reporters text in that, uh, that, I guess, I can't remember how it goes. I guess he texted in what he thought Schmidt's, like, two- or three-day weight was, was 25 pounds. No, because it was day one. He just texted the wrong thing. Okay, well, there he, you go. He had, like, 15 pounds, I think, yeah. and he put a two. And he put 25 pounds, and, like, we all commented on our little chain where we used to communicate and share information, and... He never corrected it, and so we, we ran it, and we put it online that he's got 25 pounds, which is a huge limit at, at Lake Champlain, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's a big limit anywhere. Yeah. Champlain, like, anything over 21 is spectacular. Yeah, and so we ran it, and everybody's just all fired up, and here comes Brian Schmidt into way in, and I go trot down there on the docks. Like, Dude, I heard you crushed him. He's like, eh, sort of. I'm like, what? He had, like, 25 pounds? He's like, no. no. <laughs> I was like, that's the thing. Everyone yeah. thought he had. Like, yeah. Everyone was like, what happened to Brian Schmidt? Did he get disqualified? Yeah. Was he late? Were his fish all dead? Like, how does he not have it? We all, we were all like, what's going on here? Oh, gosh. That, if he, if he had only actually had 25, that though, been awesome. that would have been so epic. Yep. Schmidt just smokes 25 pounds on day one. And the thing is, because it was Brian Schmidt, we didn't question it that much because he has such a good track record there. And yeah. Like, and he ran down south and, like, if anybody's going to catch him down all there the right things the to, grass. like, yeah. actually bust a crazy huge bag. And, I mean, he's awesome. He's relaxed. Like, he's not a yeah. guy who would, like, way overestimate his weight. Right. He almost, almost all the time when I talk to him, he, like, almost always nails his weight, I feel like. Like, it seemed good enough. Yeah. It's just, we got to quintuple check pace now. <laughs> That's why we don't let him out of the office anymore. 
Yeah. Just keep him chained to his desk. Well, I mean, that's definitely worked to keep the uh, keep the erroneous, you know, estimates. Yeah. At bay. <laughs> um, other than that, I think uh, I think that's pretty much it. Um, Kurt, you got anything? You know, you're not my usual co-host, so you got anything you want to plug? I don't know. Any, I, uh, I, this is only the second time you've let me do the podcast, and uh, I can't imagine it's because I was so bad the first time. You must just be threatened by my podcasting skills. Is that I, what it is? I am, basically. Yeah, I, well, I can understand that. Well, no, I don't really have a lot to add. Check out the, the latest issue of the magazine, uh, talking about uh, Jason Lambert, his kind of system, if you will, for ledge fishing and and uh, uh, he's he and Randy Haynes, to me, they, they fish a very similar way on the ledges, the way that they run and gun, and they, they look at every school. They only fish the best schools. They have the, the most schools, and they just have developed a system for that style of tournament, and obviously they crush it when they get in that scenario, when it works. When it yeah. doesn't work, it doesn't always go so well for them, when it's not right, you know. But when it's right, they're very tough to beat, and so we kind of detailed the ways he he makes that happen and we should be running out a a web profile on him to kind of accompany that here soon so you can watch for that and learn a little bit about his sort of unusual upbringing in terms of offshore fishing on the tennessee river uh from back in the day when he was well you can read about it you'll see but uh he didn't actually yeah he didn't actually start (laughs) he didn't actually start bass fishing he was some other types of fishing that got him and learning the offshore game and now he's uh as we wrote on the cover the ledge hammer so yeah big time so watch for that next issue is going to have a cup preview in it it won't have the full field but we'll preview the tournament the best we can that is going to be a cool tournament because there's a lot of grass in lake murray this year and i think we're going to see a shallow summer shootout and scott canterbury is going to duel again with brian thrift and it's going to be another epic epic showdown i think those two are going to be the odds on favorite in that tournament all right so that's what's coming down down the line for the magazine. Otherwise, I'll be Wait, sitting. Wait, not here. the guy who won last time, Gagliardi. Yeah, I mean he'll he'll contend, but <laughs> I'm not. I'm going to root for. The, I'm not rooting. I'm going to pick the other two to be the the favorites. All right. It's a three day tournament, and I talked to a guy down there who who believes that it's going to be really hard for the guys who want to focus on schoolers to compete because they don't have that fourth day where their consistency can outlast the the big limits coming shallow. It's all in the preview. I don't want to let everything out right now. You got to read the preview. Okay. Uh, should like people follow you on Instagram or anything like that? Uh, or do you not want Curtis that? underscore Niedermeyer, I believe, is my Instagram handle. I'm not the uh, most active on social media. I don't know. So. There's uh, a lot of babies and dogs, and occasionally fish. I almost posted a photo of me getting one of the staff rangers stuck between two trees, trying to get into a little pond on Kentucky Lake the other day. But then I thought better of it because I didn't want I didn't want Bill Taylor to get mad at me. So he doesn't have Instagram. Oh well, dang! If I'd have known that. Put up whatever you want on there. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. Well, that's good. Um, as far as everything else, uh, FLW official on Snapchat. Uh, you'll want that for practice for the uh, FLW tour next week in lacrosse. FLW fishing on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, FLWfishing.com. I'm Jody Blanco on Instagram. I can't really think of anything else right now. Uh, so that'd probably do it. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Kurt, thanks for stopping by. You Pleasure got it, as man. always. I'll see you again in about a year and a half, probably, next time you actually let me on the show. Perfect. <laughs>